ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we've been talking about the types of people who have reasons to be excused from the normal performance of the prayer. So we mentioned, for example, those who are ill. The one who is ill or has some problem medically, then they have some exceptions when it comes to the prayer. Physically, for example, if they can't stand, they can sit and pray. If they cannot sit, they can lie down and pray. So there were some exceptions like that for the one who is ill or has some medical problem. Also, we discussed the traveler. The traveler is allowed to shorten and is allowed to combine once he actually begins and falls into the categorization of being a traveler. Today we'll mention then another category, another type of reasoning where there is some leeway in the performance of the prayer or the manner of its performance, and that is Salatul Rakib, the one who is riding upon an animal and in our times, things like aeroplanes. So what is the issue here? مِنْ أَهْلِ الْأَعْذَارِ الرَّاكِبِ إِذَا كَانَ يَتَأَذَّى بِنُزُولِهِ لِلصَّلَاةِ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ One of the excuses or reasonings allowed for these exceptions in the performance of the prayer or the manner of its performance is somebody who is upon a riding animal and it would be harmful for him to come off and to pray on the floor. It would be harmful for him to come off and pray on the floor, on the ground. Or it could be that he is not able to get back onto his riding animal if he was to get off. Maybe he is unable to get back onto his riding animal if he got off. Or he feels that if he stops and gets off and prays, his other companions, the rest of his group, will go ahead and he will become lost. For example. Or... He fears that if he gets off his riding animal, he may be in some danger. He may be in some danger if he gets off his riding animal. Perhaps there are predatory animals around, so he needs to stay on top of his camel, for example. Maybe the enemy is around, so he needs to carry on moving. So there may be reasons why a person is unable to come off the riding animal and pray on the ground. And there is a narration mentioned here that on one occasion the Prophet 
was with his companions and he was upon his riding animal and it was raining and all of the ground was uh, difficult, muddy basically and very difficult to get into and to step onto and to pray upon. So when the time for the prayer came, he commanded the Mu'addin to make the Adhan and the Iqamah. He went forward, the Prophet ﷺ went forward on his riding animal and let the prayer prayed upon his riding animal. Uh, and that is due to the very great difficulty on that occasion of getting onto the ground and praying because of that heavy water. The one who ends up having to pray on top of a riding animal, then you must face the Qibla nevertheless. If you have to pray upon a riding animal, you must still face towards the Qibla. And that is because of the statement of Allah, وَحَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ وُجُوهَكُمْ and wherever you may be, then turn your faces towards it. وَيَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ فِعْلْ مَا يَقْدِرْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ رُكُوعٍ وَسُجُودٍ وَإِيمَاءٍ بِهِمَا وَطُمَأْنِينَةٍ And when you're praying upon a riding animal, and in these days maybe like an aeroplane, you're on an aeroplane, you cannot get off onto the ground. There is no ground technically, even there. There is no ground technically. If you're unable to stand, you should stand if you can. But if you're unable, then you stay praying in your seat. But when you stay praying in your seat, you must face the Qibla. So if the aeroplane is heading in a particular direction and the Qibla is out your window, then you must face towards that way to pray in your seat. If it's the other way, face the other way. It's behind you, do as much as you can. If they don't allow you to stand, then turn as much as you can to the direction of the Qibla and pray. And whatever you're able to do, you're supposed to do. Whatever you can't, then you can't. So even on a plane, if you can stand and pray, they give you space or they allow you to stand at the back or something, then you should. If you cannot and they don't give you space and they don't allow it, then you can pray in your seat facing the Qibla. And if you're in your seat, then you pray to the best of your ability Trying to do the ruku' to the best of your ability, the sujood to the best of your ability. You perform that prayer in the best possible manner whilst on the seat. The same applies, for example, on a train. If you were on a train and the time of the prayer was going to finish before you arrive at the next station, then you can pray on the train. Again, you must find the direction of the Qibla, the Kaaba, and face it. And you should stand if you are able. If they don't allow it, then you can pray again sitting on your seat facing the Qibla. A ship or a boat, it's maybe easier to be able to stand up, less restrictions. So you should stand and face the Qibla and pray. If you couldn't, maybe you're on a small boat or something, then in your seat as you're sat again and you face towards the direction of the Qibla. Ka. What about Ka? 
It's the car to the Qibla. You're going to make it. Okay, so you're retracting, for you take, turning the car around on the motorway. Huh? So in the car, there's no need to pray in the car. If you're driving your car and the time of the prayer is about to go, you pull up, stop your car, go into the services, go off into a side road, anything. Stop, get out, stand, face the Qibla and pray properly. There is no necessity in a car, in a plane, in a train, in a boat, you, you don't control anything. In a car, you're in control, work it out, stop. In the time of the prayer, face the Qibla and pray properly. Unless, then we're back to the other reason again. Unless there's a reason why you can't get off the riding animal. Unless there's a reason why you can't get out of the riding animal. So, for example, if there was some severe rainfall, like thundering the other day. If it was like that, and the rain is coming down like that, maybe you cannot get out of the car. So, in that case, you have that excuse to pray in the car. But usually... Without any reason, or if there is no reason, then you should get out, stop, face the Qibla, stand and pray normal. About coming to the masjid? The amount of rain about combining in the mosque when it's raining, the amount of rain that it has to be, is it any rain or is it just a very light rain? Some scholars they mention, as Shaykh Rabia mentioned, other scholars in their books of fiqh from old they mention. Some of them, not all. They differ about the amount of rain. But some of them say it's got to be an amount whereby it actually wettens your clothes and actually has the ability to make the soil muddy. Sometimes it's so light, you go step on some grass, it's not muddy, it's still dry. It's hard. The water hasn't had the impact enough to make it muddy. So that's very light rain. Even on your clothes, you could walk all the way from the Asda to here, and within 10 seconds it's gone. There's nothing hardly there. It's not, your clothes aren't soaking wet. Some of the scholars say the rain has to be enough that it actually makes your clothes wet. You come into the mosque now, you've got a big wet patch, wet patch where the rain has been going. And the ground has become slightly soft and muddy where the rain's been falling. That now indicates it's a reasonable level of rain. If it doesn't do that, hardly has an impact on your clothes. You come in, a couple of seconds, brush it, it's gone. You dry in a couple of minutes, nothing really there. The ground isn't becoming muddy outside. There's no splashing in the mud in the grass and things. It's not really that heavy then. Some of the scholars say in that case you can't combine, you can't do nothing. That's not enough rainfall to make a problem for you. So that is something, that is a criteria some scholars mention. It's got to be enough to wetten your clothes and to make the ground a bit muddy. Not agreed upon, but that's the opinion of some scholars regarding it. So very light rain would not fall into that opinion. Very light rain, sometimes it's raining lightly, you don't need to combine for that. That doesn't make a difference. Makes no difference. Having a car doesn't make a difference. The ruling applies the same. The next one 
is Salatul Khawf. Ushra'u Salatul Khawf fi kulli qitalin mubah. In every permissible fight or battle that is occurring, every permissible, correct, legislated act of battle that is occurring, then it is permissible for the Muslims to pray the Salatul Khawf. كَقِتَالِ الْكُفَّارِ وَالْبُغَاتُ الْمُحَارِبِينَ Give some examples when you are fighting against the kuffar or the, the transgressors or those who are opposing you, those who fight against you in opposition to you. وَالدَّلِيلَ عَلَى مَشْرُوعِيَّةِ صَلَاةِ الْخَوْفِ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ وَالْإِجْمَاعِ and the evidence for that is in the Qur'an, it is in the Sunnah, it is in the consensus of the scholars. Al-Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, صحت صلاة الخوف عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من خمسة أوجه أو ستة كلها جائزة That the prayer in fear that has been mentioned, it has been mentioned in five different ways or six different ways in the Sunnah and all of that is permissible. فَهِيَ مَشْرُوعَ فِي زَمَنِهِ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ وَتَسْتَمِرُّ مَشْرُوعِيَّتُهَا إِلَىٰ آخِرِ الدَّهَرِ So that is something permissible then and continues to be permissible now. وَتُفْعَلُ صَلَاةُ الْخَوْفِ عِنْدَ الْحَاجَةِ إِلَيْهَا سَفَرًا وَحَضَرًا That the prayer of fear, it is carried out The prayer of fear, the prayer of fear, it is carried out at the time of need, whether you are traveling or you are resident, that's irrelevant. As long as these other conditions we're going to mention now are in place. If it is feared that the enemies will come and attack uh, the Muslims, then it's permissible. Because the reasoning here is not about traveling. The reasoning here is fear. Fear of the enemy coming. لكن صلاة الخوف في الحضر لا يقصر فيها عدد الركعات وإنما تقصر فيها صفة الصلاة وصلاة الخوف في السفر يقصر فيها عدد الركعات إذا كانت رباعية. So now the sheikh says, if you are traveling when that battle occurs and this fear occurs. Then in that case, the number of raka'at prayed is shortened. You can shorten the number of raka'at. However, if you are resident when this occurs and this fear occurs, you don't shorten the number of raka'at, you simply shorten the description and the method of praying. It is shortened rather than becoming long because you fear the attack. And there are two conditions أن يكون العدو يحل قتاله كما سبق That the enemy is somebody whom it is permissible to fight against And secondly أن يخاف هجومه على المسلمين حال الصلاة That it is feared 
They may attack whilst you are praying. Then you can pray the fear prayer. وَمِنْ صِفَاتِ صَلَاةِ الْخَوْفِ الصِّفَةُ الْوَارِدَةِ عَنِّي وَسَلَّمْ فِي حَدِيثِ سَهَلِ بْنِ أَبِي حَثْمَةِ الْأَنْصَارِ رضي الله عنه وقد اختار الإمام أحمد العمل بها لأنها أشبه بالصفة المذكورة في القرآن الكريم وفي احتياط الصلاة واحتياط للحرب وفيها نكاية بالعدو وقد فعل عليه الصلاة والسلام هذه الصلاة في غزوة ذات الرقاع وصفتها كما رواها سهل هي أن طائفة صفت مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وطائفة وجاه العدو فصلى بالتي معه ركعة ثم ثبت قائما وأتموا لأنفسهم ثم انصرفوا وصفوا وجاه العدو وجاءت الطائفة الأخرى فصلى بهم ركعة التي بقيت من صلاته ثم ثبت جالسا وأتموا لأنفسهم ثم سلم بهم mentions in a hadith the description of how this occurred in fear there is a group who stay facing towards the possible oncoming enemy a group of them stay facing towards the enemy and a group of them line up with the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to pray so a group of them lined up with the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and a group of them still facing the direction of the possible enemy coming. So the ones who lined up with the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed one raka'ah with them. He then stayed standing and they carried on and finished their prayer. Then they left and took the lines of the ones who were facing the enemy. They took those positions up. And those ones then came and lined up with the Prophet ﷺ. He then prayed the second raka'ah with them. And صَلَّى بِهِمُ الرَّكَعَ الَّتِي بَقِيَتْ مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ He prayed the second raka'ah with them. ثُمَّ ثَبَتَ جَالِسًا وَأَتَمُّ لِأَنفُسِهِمْ Then he stayed sitting down because this group who are now with him have only prayed. So they, gotta, 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 they have to get up and pray their second one. He stayed sitting down and when they caught up, he then gave the salam. So, how has that worked? There's a group of people, enemy could be coming anytime, could attack. So now there's a state of possible danger, very much danger, fear. Therefore, you can pray the fear prayer now. If you're traveling, then it can be shortened too. If you're not, then normal, but the prayer description shortened. So in this case, it gives the example of two raka'at. They can't all start facing the qibla and pray if the enemy is coming from behind, they could attack whilst they're praying. So half of them, for example, line up with the Prophet facing the qibla. The other half stay facing that way just to see what's going on. Is the enemy coming or not? The Prophet prays one raka'ah. They finish one raka'ah, this jama'ah. Then... After finishing one raka'ah, they stand up. The Prophet ﷺ stays standing up. Everybody in the row carries on, finishes their second raka'ah, gives salam, and goes, stands facing that enemy line now. Those ones who were standing there now come and join in. The Prophet ﷺ has been stood all this time. They come and join in, and then he carries on now with the second raka'ah. So together they pray the second raka'ah. Now the Prophet ﷺ sits down. They're going 
get up and finish their second rak'ah. They just started. So they finish their second rak'ah. The Prophet stays sitting down. When they finish, then they give salam together. So both groups catch one rak'ah with the Prophet and they finish the second one by themselves. But the Prophet stays waiting in the first one for the second group to come and stays waiting in the tashahud at the end for the second group to finish. So then they finish all that prayer in once. That is mentioned in a hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. There are other descriptions too. There were some others. The Shaykh, he mentioned some of these others as well here uh, about uh, a group of them praying, a group of them not praying. But the purpose of that is in the time of fear, then this chapter is all about what? It is all about exceptions to the normal method of praying. So when you're in times of fear, you have some of those exceptions in how you pray, alternating the jama'ah, etc. So that one group can keep looking at the enemy in case you get attacked. That is a, a type of exception in the prayer. To stop at halfway. Possibly. He mentions all of them. There's a, we, can, we can go through them if you like. All the different descriptions. The next one then, okay, we'll mention the other descriptions too. This one we did, the second one. ومن صفات صلاة الخوف ما روى جابر قال شهدت مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلاة الخوف فصففنا صفين ولعدوا بيننا وبين القبلة فكبر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فكبرنا ثم ركع وركعنا جميعا ثم رفع رأسه من الركوع فرفعنا جميعا ثم انحدر بالسجود والصف الذي يليه وقام الصف المؤخر في النحر العدو فلما قضى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم السجود وقام الصف الذي يليه انحدر الصف المؤخر بالسجود وقاموا ثم تقدم الصف المؤخر وتأخر الصف المقدم ثم ركع ركعنا جميعا ثم رفع رأسه من الركوع ورفعنا جميعا ثم انحدر بالسجود والصف الذي يليه وكان مؤخرا في ركعة الأولى This is another description now In the first description what happened? The enemy was where? Behind, and the Qibla was this way. This is another description. Now what if the direction of the Qibla happens to be in the direction where the enemy is? So then this description in Sahih Muslim is given. In Sahih Muslim, a description is given about that one. So it mentions they're lined up in two rows. Two rows behind the Prophet and the enemy is ahead in the direction of the Qibla. So they're lined up. The Prophet did the takbir, they all did the takbir. Did the Fatiha, etc. Did the Ruku'ah, all of them together. They raised up all of them from Ruku'ah together. Then the, after the Ruku'ah, now the Prophet went into Sujood. The first row behind him went into Sujood. The second row stayed standing. Because if they all go into Sujood now, and the enemies from up ahead, they could attack again, and they're all in Sujood. Relevant. If you got your eye here and the big army comes there, you see them. So it's not going to make a big difference. And even there is an opinion anyway. There is an opinion you can look straight forward of some of the scholars. But anyway, if a, if a row is standing, if a row is standing, even looking down, you will see without doubt. There is no doubt. So anyway, the one behind, they the second row, they stood. انحدر الصف المؤخر نعم 
sujood, so when the Prophet finished the prostration, الذيلي, and then they got up on the road that was with him, sujood. So now then the second row that still gotta go down into sujood goes down into sujood because now the first row and everybody is up and they can see again now. وقاموا, and then they get up. So now when the second row has caught up, now they swap positions with the first row. They go forward, the first row comes back. So now they've swapped positions and everybody has finished one rak'ah. And the first row has swapped positions with the second row. Uh, then they do the, uh, uh, the Fatiha section, standing section all together, they do the Ruku'ah all together. Then the first row, ثُمَّنْ حَدَرَ بِالسُّجُودِ وَالصَّفِّ الَّذِي يَلِيهِ وَكَانَ مُؤَخَّرًا فِي رَكَعَةِ الْأُولَى Then they go into sujood and the first row goes into sujood with him. That was the row that initially had to stand up and wait the first time round. Now they've swapped. And the second row now stands up waiting. They were the ones who initially got to go down first in the first raka'ah. They've swapped. فَلَمَّا قَضَى so then when they, the Prophet and that first row finish, the second row then does their part and then they all sit together, the first row they wait, the Prophet waits and then everybody gives salam together. That is if the enemy is in front of you in the direction of the Qibla. Then, The next description is the same. One, when they line up the first group, uh, Another method, slightly different. So now, one group of them facing the enemy. The other group, they come and pray with the Prophet ﷺ, one raka'ah. They come and pray with the Prophet ﷺ, one raka'ah. Once they've prayed one raka'ah, they've done one raka'ah, they've done the two sajdas for it, they go and swap with the ones who are on guard. After one raka'ah, they come and they pray one raka'ah with the Prophet which is the Prophet second raka'ah. They pray that with him. At the end of the second raka'ah, this time, in this narration, he says the Prophet finishes. So, they go, so both parties are left with having to make up one raka'ah each. They both make up one raka'ah each by themselves, separate from the Prophet That's mentioned too. وَمِن صِفَاتِ صَلَاتِ الْخَوْفَ أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ بِكُلِّ طَائِفَ صَلَاءٍ بِهَا uh, it's also been mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ prays a full prayer with each group. Each group comes, prays, another group keeps lookout. They finish their prayer complete, they go. The other one comes, finish their prayer complete and go. أَقْبَلْنَا مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم حَتَّى إِذَا كُنَّا بِذَاتِ الرَّقَعِ قَالْ فَنُودِيَ لِلصَّلَاءِ فَصَلَّ بِطَائِفَ رَكَعَتَيْنِ ثُمَّ تَأَخَّرُوا فَصَلَّ بِطَائِفَ الْأُخْرَى رَكَعَتَيْنِ 
فكانت للرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم أربعة وللقوم ركعتين أو ركعتان In this one it mentions how the Prophet ﷺ prayed two rak'at. This one is the resident one. He prayed two rak'at. Well, technically. Because he prayed two rak'at with the first group. They then leave, finished and go. Second group comes, they pray two rak'at to the Prophet ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't give salam after the second one. So he ended up praying Four, a four raka'ah prayer, but the groups came and prayed two and two. That is possible mentioned as well. وَهَذِي الصِّفَاتِ تُفْعَلُ إِذَا لَمْ يَشْتَدِّ الْخَوْفِ فَإِذَا اشْتَدَّ الْخَوْفِ بِأَنْ تَوَاصَلَ الطَّعْنُ وَالضَّرْبُ وَالْكَرْ وَالْفَرْءِ وَلَمْ يُمْكِنْ تَفْرِيقِ الْقَوْمُ وَصَلَاتِهِمْ عَلَى مَا ذَكِرْ وَحَانَ وَقْتِ الصَّلَاةِ صَلُّوا عَلَى حَسْبِ حَالِهِمْ رِجَالًا وَرَكْبَانًا لِلْقِبْلَةِ وَغَيْرِهَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالرُّكُوعِ وَالسُّجُودِ حَسْبَ طَاقَتِهِمْ In the middle of battle, not the enemy is down there, could come any time. Enemy is here, they're throwing arrows, this is happening, that's happening. In the middle of battle, time for prayer, what do you do? And that one it says then, those types of descriptions don't apply. You pray as you can. You're on your riding animal, on your, whatever your situation is, you can't do full course or do, you can only do with signals, whatever you can do, however you are able to the best of your ability, whether you face the Qibla, you don't face the Qibla. Even that, if you can't face the Qibla, it's not a necessitation in that time. Whether you're on your riding animal, whether you're on the ground. In that situation then, when the time comes, you do not delay, you try to pray upon whatever state you are able to pray. So it could be on your feet, you are standing, could be on your riding animal, could be facing the Qibla, could be not facing the Qibla, if that is something where engagement <coughs> or battle is occurring. It is recommended that you carry your weapon in your prayer during that time. That is mentioned, that you carry your weapon during the prayer in that time. What's the benefit from all of this? The Shaykh says one of the biggest benefits we learn from this, because look at how the descriptions of these prayers are in times of fear, completely different to what we do. Prophet I'm standing for one, you pray one, you finish, you go, another one comes and prays the second one, then gets up and finishes, all types of things that you don't never do otherwise. Allowed in that situation indicates to you what? The importance of the prayer, even in that time of difficulty. In that time of stress, <coughs> difficulty, fighting, even then, prayer isn't abandoned. You have different ways, different methods to aid you, help you, but you pray. Pray in whatever methods from these methods are suitable, but you pray. So even in those times, how the Sharia has given us precise rulings on how you do it and how you put it together, the prayer and what you can do to keep God and protect and still pray, shows you the importance of the prayer even at those times if that's how important it is even then then what about when you're relaxing and you should be praying completely everything properly no excuse for anybody to neglect their prayer and you're not in any type of battle or anything anyway jama'atu look at that too sahih in jama'ah as well in jama'ah they are praying in those examples 
That's allowed generally. Generally, it is permissible to break off your prayer in times of necessity. Any necessity, it is permissible to break off the prayer. Necessity. That's possible. You're praying in the kitchen, you got your gas on, suddenly your toddler gets away from you, and in the corner of your eye you see him going towards the gas. For example, hot boiling water on top of everything. You see him going there, you see him climbing next to you on the gas. Permissible to break off your prayer and go. If you don't need to break it off, you can just make a movement and grab him, keep praying, stay in the prayer. If you can't, you need to, or maybe he pulls it and it falls or something. Maybe the pan falls. Now you have to break your prayer, quickly go grab him. You got to do it. When necessity occurs, you have to do it. Some of the scholars give an example. In this country, it's not going to happen. But if you're in Egypt or someplace, you're out in the desert, mashallah, big scorpion comes. You're praying, they mention in the books of fiqh, you're praying, big scorpion comes. You're going to have to break your prayer. Either you, if, you, if you can still in your prayer, kill it, carry on, okay. If you can't, big group of scorpions, they all come out of the ground, you have to, you have to get out. So in necessity, you're allowed. In necessity, you can break your prayer. Or, uh, like they say, for example, saving somebody's life. You're praying, next thing you know, you hear a massive explosion next door, gas explosion. You hear a huge explosion, screaming, everything. You can break your prayer and go to help the people and aid them and save their lives. So necessity, it's allowed to break the prayer. That would certainly be necessity then. What kind of? That's if the enemy is attacking. You can study that, inshallah, when you get older as well. Fajr and Jama'ah, they're in narrations? Praying in Jama'ah. Generally, praying in Jama'ah, that is something some of the scholars, they even say it's obligatory for the men. There are even opinions... Not the strongest opinion, but there are opinions your prayer is invalid if you don't come pray in the jama'ah. Of course, the opinion, correct opinion is your prayer is still valid, but you are missing a large amount of the reward and you are against the sunnah. Sunnah for the men is to pray in jama'ah, to come and fill the masajid, to stand side by side. Fajr and Isha, there are specific narrations mentioned about them. The munafiqeen, which prayers are hardest for them? So everybody should make that effort to come and pray in jama'ah firstly. Secondly, you should make the effort to come and pray in jama'ah with Ahlus Sunnah. If you don't have ability, no problem. You live half an hour away, you don't have a car. Okay, what can you do? If you have facilities, you have a car, you have somebody who can pick you up, you're able to get to this masjid, then you have no excuse to go pray anywhere else. If you're able to get here, you have the ability, then you have no excuse to go elsewhere. It's going to take a couple of minutes extra. That's better for you to come and pray with Ahlul Sunnah for the two or three minutes extra to get here instead of your local place. So pray in Jama'ah and pray with Ahlul Sunnah. Praying with the people of innovation is no good for you. No good for you, no good for your hearts. When you pray in that Jama'ah, you don't have the same type of tranquility as you pray with Ahlul Sunnah. There is a huge difference in praying in the mosques of the people upon innovation than praying in the mosque of the people of the sunnah. So jama'ah, no doubt, is vital importance in the first place. But then on top of that, it's not just about saying, okay, I'm going to go in jama'ah, my local place. It's a very big thing to pray with ahl sunnah, not to go with the mosques of innovation. 
We need to come to the masjid of the sunnah, pray upon the sunnah, pray upon the revelation, the guidance of the Prophet Sallallahu You're going to go to one of those places, you can barely finish your Fatiha, already they finished their three raka'at. They don't let you do ameen in some of them. Nobody joins their rows, nothing. On the walls, all sorts of things, who knows what they are writing. You shouldn't go to those places. You should pray in the masjid of the sunnah. You have a masjid upon the sunnah, and why are you going to go anywhere else? It makes no sense. So pray in jama'ah and come and pray in this masjid, even if it is two or three minutes longer to get here. Depends on the type of mosque it is. If it is an innovation that is too severe to pray behind them, then you can't pray in their jama'ah, you pray by yourself. Why are you going to go, like we just said, if the mosque is an innovation that is too severe to pray behind, then you don't go there. Then you just pray at home, you pray with your colleagues, make jama'ah. You're in an area where there is no mosque of the sunnah. The only mosque is a mosque where they've got a, a tomb in the corner. For example, what are you going to do? You cannot go to that mosque. There's no other mosque within 50 miles. Khalas, you and your friends, you get together, you make jama'ah and you pray. No, this you missed it all. Last week, the whole topic on this topic. <laughs> Some scholars, they say four days. This is an opinion, many opinions. Some scholars say if you are traveling, you are traveling. It doesn't matter how long. This as well. They said when you are traveling in the process of traveling, then you always shorten and combine. Once you arrive at your place, even though you're a traveler there, you've arrived and you've settled, now you should just shorten but not combine. No, no, they say you're not in the process of traveling. So now if you're going to go to London, when you set off in your car from Bolton and you're driving, 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 driving for six hours, that six hours is the process of traveling. When you arrive, you have arrived in your location. Now you're not traveling. You're not driving a car, you're not going anywhere. You're there. So now you are, you're still a traveler, but you don't need to combine and shorten, just shorten. That is opinion of some scholars. So that's another issue then. Some of them say up to four days. If you're going to stay for more than four days, don't shorten nothing. So imagine now you're going to go to London for work for seven days. One week they're going to send you. Don't shorten from day one. Because you know you're here for seven days. Some of the scholars have the opinion for more than four days you are in the hukum of the muqim. So they say go to the mosque, pray everything, no shortening, combining. But the opinions, many, many. If you look into this. Absolutely. That's an opinion. Absolutely it is. If you are a traveler, there is an opinion. You are a traveler, you are a traveler. <coughs> Why are you here? Study, work? Traveler, he's a traveler. But the scholars have this opinion. If you go to a foreign land, you go to a foreign land, imagine you're a businessman. And your company says, we need you to go take care of some contracts in another country. It's a six-month contract. You need to do this, that, the other six-month job there, our branch in that other country. For six months upon that opinion, you're a traveler. Ramadan comes in that six months, you don't have to fast. Combining, shortening, six months, you are a traveler. Is it your home? 
That country, you don't know what it is. Don't speak their language, you can't eat their food. So you're a traveler. Some scholars have this opinion. It's an opinion. But uh, many of them these days, most of the fatawa, Sheikh Hazan, everybody, they say four days. If you're going to go to a place for more than four days, then don't combine shorten your muqim. They carried on praying, there was no necessity for them. What happened for them? Necessity, for example, now in that same situation. Imagine we're praying here now. One brother has a seizure, for example. We're all in jama'ah, 30 of us here now. We're praying, one brother has a seizure. There's a necessity now for maybe one or two people to break their prayer only. The one or two who are next to him. Or if there was a doctor in here somewhere, you could say the necessity is upon him. One or two, there's no necessity for all of us to break our prayer. One brother's having a seizure, for example, la Allah, the one or two next to him, they have a necessity to break their prayer, help him. Not everybody. Or if there was a medic, for example, you could say necessity falls on his shoulders. But not everybody. Necessity is not upon everybody. Everybody breaks their prayer, what, what's 30 of us going to do? One brother's having a seizure, only two or three are going to help him and do what you need to do. So necessity wouldn't apply to everybody in that situation. If it was, if it was like the other example we gave, a big uh, blast happens, you hear a bomb go off or a, a gas pipe explosion. Now you may say necessity for all of us to break because now there's even a threat and danger upon us. Big, big uh, gas blast, we need to break and get out of the building. That's a necessity upon everyone there. You know, like uh, in the summer, in the summer months, in this country, there are some scholars in this country for other countries. They give the fatwa about combining anyway for the summer months. Some of the scholars have this fatwa about combining Maghrib and Isha. Now some of the mosques they do it, combining Maghrib and Isha for the summer months. It is a fatwa of some of the scholars because of the timings and everything. Regardless of travel, muqim, everybody, there is a fatwa of some of the scholars allowing that. Doesn't mean it's the strongest fatwa, but there's a fatwa. Some of the scholars do allow it, others they don't. Nobody, the fatwa of Bolton, in that case, the fatwa of Bolton is no combining. But this, uh, the issue of the combining, it's in the summer months, it's old, it's not new. These fatwa about the summer months combining have been here for a decade or more. It's not just recent now. This has been a decade or 12, 15, almost 20 years. Now these issues, because uh, the same problem we have now in the summer in the UK has been happening every year. So 20 years ago they asked about the scholars about these issues, about combining in the summer months. And some of the mosques in this country have been doing this combining thing for 20 years almost. For a long time, long time. But it's an opinion of some of the scholars about it, but many of them, they don't give that fatwa. The permanent committee of the scholars, Sheikh Bin Bash, Ahmed Najmi, Sheikh Zaid, Sheikh Lihidan, most of them, they don't give the fatwa about combining. And it's simple to understand why. Simple to understand why. The prayers have been given at fixed times. And unless you have some justification, you can't take them out of the fixed times. Some of the scholars may allow the justification of the timings. Timings are completely out. So therefore it's a justification. But the permanent committee of scholars, they said, some of the Scandinavian countries, you know, in Norway, those places, fasting in Ramadan, what happens? 22 hours. Here, 18, 19, they're 22, 23 hours. 
they asked the permanent committee of scholars, what do we do? How are we supposed to, uh, what can we do? You know what the answer of the permanent committee of scholars was? Sheikh bin Baz and everybody. They said, for the one who is capable, then you have no justification for anything. You fast 23 hours. As long as the sun comes up and it goes down within a 24 hour cycle, and it does, it does. It's only one hour, but it does. It goes down and it comes up, and there's a one hour gap. So it fits within 24 hours. It goes down and it comes up within 24 hours. They said if it goes up and it goes down within 24 hours, that means do you have a Fajr and Maghrib or not? You have a Fajr and you have a Maghrib. They said for the one who is capable, you must fast. 23 hours. They said the one who is incapable, because okay, many people will be physically un incapable. Even uh, forget about old people, even some young masakeen. They can't do it. They said, okay, if you're physically, medically, un it's not possible for you to do it. You just can't do it. You're going you're gonna to end up in seizures after two weeks. Then, okay, you can miss then because you're incapable of fasting and you make them up later on in the winter months when it's a bit smaller. But otherwise, no justification about it's long and 23 hours and therefore can we shorten, can we do this, can we do that. The point being, they gave that fatwa the same as the prayer. The prayer now has fixed times. The fast has fixed times. They said, just like the prayer, you can't just move prayers out of their times because of these reasons. There's a Fajr, there's a Maghrib. There's a Dhuhr, there's an Asr. It's happening in 24 hours. You have to keep those prayers in time just like you have to keep the fasting in time. You can't start saying, okay, should we open our fast at Asr time? Difficulty, 23 hours. Let's open the fast at Asr time in that case. Make it 17 hours or something. They said, no, this type of justification doesn't work. And the, the reason they give is the hadith of the Dajjal. When the Dajjal comes, one day will feel like, the first one feels like a year. In that year, are they only going to pray five times? Once every two months or three months each prayer. Dhuhr after two months and two months after, like that? Uh-uh. They're going to be estimating every day. Five prayers, they're going to estimate a 24-hour cycle and carry on praying normal. This is the biggest evidence the scholars they use. They say, regardless, if you've got a 24-hour cycle, you've got to pray on the day of the Dajjal, they don't even have a 24-hour cycle, and still they are going to estimate the right times of the prayers and pray. You have a 24-hour cycle, what gives you the right to take the prayers out of its time? It's very strong. <laughs> So, but nevertheless, there are some scholars who allow the combining. Uh, for various reasons, whatever it may be, some of them allow it. But in your circumstance there, upon the opinion of the four days, if you're following those types of opinions, then you wouldn't be able to justify it with that. That it's, uh, I'm tired, etc. Ah. Which ruling? Permissibility to combine in summer? At home, the same ruling would apply if it's upon the ijtihad of difficulty. If it's upon the ijtihad of difficulty, then that applies, whether it's at home or in the mosque. Upon the ijtihad of difficulty. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Well, why would that be linked? <laughs> to get there? 
No, sisters can combine anyway. Uh, if you're following the fatwa, if you're following that fatwa of combining because of the ijtihad, of it being the issue of difficulty, then the issue of difficulty comes down to time. Isha is at 11 o'clock, 11.30, Fajr, 3 o'clock. That issue of difficulty applies whether you're at home or whether you come to the mosque. Coming to the mosque only takes an extra 15 minutes. So the scholars, they would allow that combining for the sisters. If they didn't need it, then you don't need it. If somebody doesn't follow that opinion, you don't follow the opinion of combining in summer, then some of the scholars say, if you go to a mosque and they're combining, it's preferable that when they get up to pray their Isha, just pray Nafal. You don't follow the opinion of combining, you don't follow the opinion of being able to take Isha out of its time, then just pray Nafal so that you don't break off from the Jama'ah, if you can. If you can't and you gotta go, you gotta go. You can't combine Asr and Maghrib. You can combine Dhuhr and Asr or Maghrib and Isha. You can't combine Asr with Maghrib. What are you going to say if you combine Asr and Maghrib in Ramadan, you open your fast and Asr? MashaAllah. That would have been good mathematics. But you can't combine yeah, Dhuhr. Well, just like you, I'm searching for the answer for that one too. Really, personally, I think that is an issue we should uh, get more detail about. Because uh, it does become complicated. If you're combining for two weeks, three weeks, and then all of a sudden Ramadan comes and you're not going to combine now. Eid day. MashaAllah. Everything back to 9 p.m. finish and go home. So it does become complicated. It does become complicated. So it, it needs to be looked into a bit more, I think. Because uh, I don't know if any of the scholars have ever been told about this scenario in the UK now. That okay, this, they've been told about the Isha Fajr time scenario. Have they been told Ramadan comes in the middle, Sheikh? So can we combine before, go back to praying normal, go back to combining again? This type of thing, I don't know if there's a fatwa of the scholars with that detail like that. Saying yes, combine because of the difficulty. In Ramadan, don't combine for whatever reasons. After Ramadan, go back to combining. I don't know if that type of fatwa exists, but there are yani, general reasonings, general reasonings you may not combine in Ramadan. You could argue it's difficult to combine in Ramadan. People are hungry after Maghrib, you start praying Isha Tarawih straight away when they're going to eat. You could, you could maybe explain that as well. That's very possible, you're right, because the Tarawih doesn't have to be straight after Isha. You can pray Maghrib, you can combine Isha. And you can do taraweeh later on. That's even better, in fact, praying the taraweeh in the later part of the night. And it's only an optional prayer. Those issues, they could do with maybe getting more detail on them. Maybe about the issues of Ramadan coming in the middle, etc. It could maybe be looked into further so that there's a clarity on how to do things and, and nobody's going to uh, find issues with these, with, with these types of topics. With combining, not combining. Because uh, some people, you know, especially the elder community, the elder community, um, people who don't understand these fiqh issues, they don't understand the rulings and the fatawa of the scholars, when they see it, they're going to see it as, what are these guys doing? So you have to explain to people as well. You've got to explain the fiqh to people, you've got to explain these positions and rulings and whatever else to people. So they understand the reasonings behind combining, then not combining, then combining, etc. Alhamdulillah, in Bolton, if you don't follow the fatwa, you got no issues. Relaxed. 
No issues, nothing. Ghiyabu Shafiq, that's another issue. But Ghiyabu Shafiq makes it even weaker then. Because that opinion, if it's upon that, the opinion of the Jumhur, well, I say Jumhur, the permanent scholars, everybody, it becomes even stronger. Because the Ghiyab thing goes exactly into the hadith of Dajjal then. So now you can't tell, well, Isha technically doesn't enter. Technically doesn't enter. Because the twilight never disappears in the summer. In the summer, the twilight never disappears. So technically, Isha never enters. No, you know the, the twilight, the redness, the blue, it, it stays. In the, in the good summer months, it stays in the UK, it stays. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It does. You, the whiteness stays all night. No, the redness, but that, that where the twilight is, it never goes dark. That whiteness, the, the light stays. So that, no, the, perhaps, but not completely. The Shafaq, there is a good argument in the UK and these countries that it never disappears. There's always something you can see. So if that's the case, if that's the case and the argument is about the Shafaq never disappearing, then it becomes even weaker because then it falls directly into the Hadith of the Dajjal. In the Hadith of the Dajjal, when the day feels like a year, so the times of the prayers don't enter because one day takes a year to finish. So how do they pray? Estimate the times. So then that would fall directly into that if it's about the Shafaq. Every scholar is going to say, estimate the time of Isha to the nearest country where the Shafaq does disappear and pray. Why are you going to combine? Hmm. Yeah. You know, small variations don't make a big difference. Small variations. But if a mosque came along and said we're praying Isha 55 minutes after Maghrib, you know there's a problem. Because their, their estimation is going to be clearly uh, slightly faulty. But one hour 15 in, uh, in uh, Umm al-Qura and those places, one hour 15 I think it is. One hour 30, one hour 25, one hour 35. Those kinds of gaps, variations, nobody can say anything. So somebody comes along now and says 55 minutes or 45 minutes after Maghrib, it's Isha. Now you can see the whole world, Shafak never disappears in 45 minutes. So then you know that's maybe too early how their estimation is. One hour, 10, 20, 30, beyond that, it's no big deal. All right, we'll conclude upon that today then. Next week, no lesson again. Next week is the conference in Birmingham. So everybody next week, are you doing a coach this year? The coach? So maybe, maybe, inshallah, everybody, push everybody, push the admin to get you a coach. So next week, Birmingham conference, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sheikh Khalid Dhafiri is coming from Kuwait as well. All the brothers, the du'at, everybody's going to be giving lectures as well, full weekend, Friday to Sunday. So inshallah ta'ala, next weekend, make an effort to go down there. This will be cancelled, all the lessons up here, every lesson in the UK will be cancelled. It will be just the Birmingham conference. So inshallah ta'ala, try and make an effort to go there next week and we'll carry on with this in two weeks then. <laughs>